Hello and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast with Robin from Modern Day Misses. This podcast is for those of you who are having a bumpy ride to baby making and for those of us surviving infertility. It's here to provide you with regular inspiration, tips and support to help you on this crazy roller coaster. I think it's important to note at this point that infertility doesn't necessarily mean just IVF or just adoption or surrogacy and a lot of people uh, kind of jump to conclusions that that's what it must mean. Um, and the definition of infertility is someone who has failed to conceive um, or have a clinical pregnancy after 12 months. And there can be many causes for this, many treatments in between and sometimes there's red flags um, such as multiple miscarriage. Um, or other issues that we have um, that can give us a few red flags um, as to something that might be infertility. Um, and some of the treatments are really simple things. They might just be something like a deficiency that needs to be corrected, might be the discovery of a thyroid disorder that needs some medication. It could be lifestyle related and it could mean um, just achieving a healthy BMI or a body mass index or a woman um, has been over-exercising and that's caused amenorrhea or the on um, ovulation dysfunction uh, and it can be really complicated. It could be a combination of a few little things or it could be a complete mystery um, which I find is more and more common with the people that I speak to. Um, and as I said, um, infertility could manifest itself in multiple miscarriages so it doesn't always just mean uh, that people just can't, like myself can't just fall pregnant. And there's one thing that I always say and that's if you uh, You've probably heard it if you've been following me for a while and that's that all of our journeys are really different um, but I really feel like we're united in that emotional side of things, that shitty feeling of trying for a baby and it not happening, that desperation of wanting to do everything in our power to make it happen and not having control of the situation and just those really raw emotions and that feeling like sometimes you're just alone. Um, one of the things I hope to do with this podcast is share the stories of others uh, and try to end some of the stigma around infertility. We have a Facebook group that I'll link to in the show notes, but if you're listening to this, I really encourage you to get the link and join. It's a closed group, so only the people inside the group can see your posts, and it's a really lovely and supportive community, so please grab the link and come and join us there. Today, I'm joined by a fellow fertility warrior, Bianca. I've known Bianca for many years now and we worked together for a few years in our early career days. Bianca is very similar to me in that she's been very open about her journey and has a passion for ending the secrecy around infertility and especially or more so about miscarriage. I'll let Bianca share her story with you but one last thing I did want to mention is that Bianca is a bit of a guru when it comes to natural cosmetics and beauty products having been the owner of a lovely little business that sourced all of the best cosmetics and natural products from Australia so we'll make sure we quiz her at the end about what she knows about the chemicals in our beauty products and how that affects our fertility. So after that long introduction to the podcast, welcome Bianca. Hi Robin. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so I think we'll get started straight away. Are you able to tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and your journey so far? Sure, absolutely. Um, it's a bit of a long one, so bear with me. Um, just to give you a little bit of a background on me, I'm now 33 years old, nearly 34, which is a bit scary, but I'm dealing with that. Um, married for about three and a half years and we've been trying to fall pregnant for almost that whole time. Um, I've actually been pregnant twice um, but both times experienced um, early early pregnancy loss or miscarriage. 
And as you said, Robin, of course, everyone's journey is different and mine's particularly different, I found, to others um, because my losses have been due to structural issues, um, more so than a, a failure or inability to conceive or, or not ovulating or something like that. Um, so, you, Oh, sorry. No, you Will can. you explain a little bit more about what you mean by structural yeah, issues? Yeah, absolutely. So structural for me is um, there's something impeding the ability to for implantation um, or to continue a successful pregnancy. So it can be, and for me, it was fibroids initially, um, and yep. I'll go into this a little bit more in more detail um, later. But, yeah, as I said, the falling pregnant isn't as much of a problem for me as having the ability to maintain a pregnancy um, to any significant term, and neither of my pregnancies lasted very long um, yep. and certainly not beyond the first trimester. So both classified as early pregnancy losses. Um, the first time I fell pregnant was after six months of trying and even that alone at the time for me was challenging to deal with. Um, I now know that that's a complete non-issue and is pretty normal for people to take that long. Um, and, and of course none of the specialists really want to talk to you about and they don't want to really throw around the infertility word until, until you've been trying for at least 12 months. So that can be really isolating in itself just going what's going on I thought it would happen straight away what's wrong with me you know what do I do and just the stress um, of that can can cause lots of issues in itself so important for people to understand that it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight for everyone even though all your friends sort of make it feel like that it did for them (laughs) Um, yeah so understandably I was over the moon excited when I first Finally, in my mind, fell pregnant. Um, and within a week, I'd sort of started talking about names and schools and, you know, I was looking for rocking chairs and just totally going overboard. But that's kind of my personality. I always sort of tend to be jumping ahead to the next thing and trying to get my head around this whole, you know, pregnancy and even beyond that, you know, what kind of parent am I going to be? And, you know, all that kind of stuff that you've just never really thought about. So, And I presume if you've been waiting for six months you're just so excited that it's finally happened that you just want to get you know to the next step I've done you know like I've ticked this box finally yep um, absolutely I'm finally in the club and you know soon I'll be able to share this experience with my friends and family and my mum's going to be so excited because and my you know my husband's mum's going to be a grandmother first time and all these sort of things that you know have an impact on you emotionally that you kind of didn't really think about before that are going to come up so Miscarriage for me never really factored in um, as a yeah. real possibility. I knew very little about it and I'd only heard of it happening to sort of one or two people like within my um, immediate circle of, of people that I knew and worked with and things like that. As far as I knew, it was, I was completely healthy and it was just a non-issue um, until it was, you know. <laughs> I, lost, yeah. I lost my first pregnancy at five weeks and it was just a huge blow um, I just wasn't equipped to deal with it mentally or emotionally and it just blindsided me. Um, yeah. Of course, I didn't have an obstetrician at that point, so I just was like, what do I do? Um, what's happening to me? Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, I just had to quickly mobilise and sort of put those emotions to the side to um, oops, sorry, um, to to get the help that I needed. So, um, yeah, that was pretty massive. Um, just... just just that it had happened and how was I going to deal with it. So, um, yeah, going through all of that and obviously I needed a DNC um, 
and I worked with a, a scrambled to find an obstetrician that could help me and you know they're hard to get into. Um, yep. So I found one around here. Luckily, I live in Duncraig, close to Glengarry. So there's lots of specialists around and um, they were like, okay, we'll do a hysteroscopy and a laparoscopic investigation um, at the same time to sort of see what's going on, um, yep. at which point they diagnosed me with a submucosal fibroid, which is basically a bump um, sticking out of my uterus, which was um, deemed to be a possible cause of miscarriage, but no one can ever say for certain with these things, unfortunately. Yeah, so, such an unknown... Um, I think infertility, there's still so much that they don't know. And I was reading an article about it today and they were talking about, you know, we all talk about the stigma of infertility, but they said that that even extends to the medical profession where they talk about, you know, infertility isn't, in most cases, life-threatening. So a lot of people are thinking, well, why are you putting funding toward this? But, you know, the fact that it affects one in eight or one of six of us, you know, and that often infertility can be, um, for a lot of people, like, associated with an increased risk of cancer and things like that. Mm. That It's funny that that's what they were talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. An article I read today as well. Yeah, I find that as well through my experience. It's like, well, they're making huge advances in all these areas of infertility, but there's still so much work to be done and there's just still so many question marks. And um, unfortunately, yeah. yeah, we just have to deal with that um, and hope that, that they'll get closer and closer to having more and more answers um, in the future. Yeah. But, on the, but in the same um, vein, you know, talking to people my mum's age and things like that, they're like, well, we just didn't know. Like everybody was having these early pregnancy losses, but we didn't really know because yeah. we didn't know it was a thing. So it was just a non-issue and we moved on and whatever. So, yeah, I guess we are lucky that we do know what we know and we've got the tools available to us that we do have now. And, yeah, hopefully that will just continue to improve. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you had you had the history... His, <laughs> can't say yeah, it. I know. Yep. <laughs> the two medical procedures yeah. at the same time as the DNC. Yeah. Yep. So they, they, did, they then said, yep, you've got this fibroid. Um, you can have surgery to resect it, um, which is basically to cut it out um, or they told me they would just leave me alone for six months and I could just try again and see what happened and I was like yep what the hell are you talking about I know I've got this condition that's impeding my ability to conceive or to carry a successful pregnancy um, why would I take the chance of having this happen to me again um, yep. given the emotional state I was in obviously I was just like there is no um, question that I would you know, put myself in this situation again, knowing what I know. Um, yeah. I just didn't feel like I could deal with it again. I thought if this happens again, yeah. I'm just going to shrivel up. I'm not going to be human anymore. Like I can't, yeah. can't do yeah. this. Um, yeah. So yeah, we scheduled the surgery, and I had, I ended up having two surgeries, sort of within a couple of months of each other, to to deal with it. The first time, he didn't get didn't get the whole thing, so he had to go back in, which is pretty awful. But you know. Um, and also the hard, another hard thing for me was that I was actually at Glengarry, which is um, quite well known as a maternity hospital. Um, yeah. So I'm sort of there dealing with this miscarriage and this um, surgery and there's babies all around me and I can hear them crying and, you know, I'm yeah. just like, oh, my God, this is just horrific. What, what's happening to me? How am I going to deal with this? Yeah. But you just do. <laughs> yeah. You don't really have yeah. a choice. So um, yeah. 
yeah, sort of at the same time, I was, I mean, they'd had a good look around inside and, and I was told I had numerous other conditions which may or may not have a future impact on my ability to conceive or maintain pregnancy. Um, and they were just huge words like endosalpingiosis. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's sort of, um, I guess, you know, you've heard of endometriosis and endosalpingiosis is similar. Well, it's some yeah. kind of inflammation, but it, it wasn't given really too much of a focus. It was like, yeah, there might be a bit of this. Um, but the main concern was the shape of my uterus, um, which is what I was explaining before when I was saying structural issues. Um, yeah. And basically they said I had a heart-shaped uterus, which sounds really nice. Um, it's heart-shaped, like great, beautiful. Yeah. It's like a little, you know. Care Bear or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just not great for baby making. So um, the obstetrician I was dealing with at the time was kind of like, not my area, but I'll ring around, I'll ring the best experts and get second opinions. And he did that and said, look, it's not an issue. It's not a big issue. People have, people have dealt with it and without surgery and, um, and been fine. So it's fine. Don't worry about it. Did you feel a little bit like hang on a second, you've just said that there's something that's wrong and now you're telling me that it's not wrong. Is there? Because, I mean, we were told that Ross was missing some chromosomes and it could be an issue and then they said it wasn't an issue. Yeah. Were you a little bit like, hmm? <laughs> well, yeah, and I think a big part of this whole process has been like, oh, who do you trust? Like, you know, mm-hmm. learning to, to trust someone. And at the time I trusted this guy because I was just like, He's the specialist, you know, like I don't know. He knows and he's calling his, you know, specialist friends. And (laughs) I'm, you know, you're kind of um, left to, to, you have to trust them. I I wasn't in a position, I didn't feel like I was in a position at that time to worry about getting second opinions. I just didn't know enough. Um, Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool, we'll just keep trying. And that's what we did. Um, and knowing what I know now, I, su- I suspect I had at least one more early loss during that time, um, right. which would have been, you know, it's an unknown, but I just suspect that things were, you know, egg was meeting sperm, but it wasn't going any further than that. And I yep. think, you know, again, through the process, you learn to read the signs of your body, you're kind of super aware of what's going on, and um, especially around the time that your periods do, you kind of yeah, what's going on and yeah, it's like you just analyze yeah things constantly, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, we ended up being um, through a friend who'd been working with this naturopath who um, specialises in fertility, um, and she was really a godsend for me. I'm really obviously a huge fan of um, keeping it as natural as possible, so it was quite yep. important for me to just investigate all those avenues first. Um, and make sure we ticked all the boxes. Again, we were starting from scratch. We, knew, we didn't know what we were dealing with here. Um, it's not until you scratch the surface and you realise, okay, this is a really complicated issue. But there's, it could be, as you said in your intro, it could be something really simple. You know, yeah. it could be just missing yeah. something um, nutritionally or emotionally or, or whatever. So it was really, really helpful to find her and work with her. Um, and she's sort of far from some people what some people's perception of a naturopath might be, um, you know, and there's a little bit of scepticism out there with regards to all sorts of alternative therapies, but that's certainly not my opinion. And um, this lady is very pragmatic in terms of 
um, she works quite closely with a GP, so she's not shunning, you know, Western medicine by any means. Um, yeah. It's more of a rational look at things and going, okay, maybe you just need to supplement this or that or it's nothing. It's no kind of yeah. um, hippie stuff. <laughs> Some people yeah, might it's really, think it is. yeah, like the term complementary medicine it's there to work yeah. with medicine and optimize yep. yeah so yep. she really helped us just look at it again really rationally and go okay let's just work through the box let's just work through this and start ticking boxes um and initially yeah so we started doing the whole sort of workup um which is a term i'm sure a lot of people are familiar with um you know a zillion tests blood tests for everything and I know that can be quite scary as well when you're starting to talk about um, autoimmune conditions and and things just might not be really ready to deal with but or have even you know contemplated as a as a as a possible issue so that can be quite confronting in itself I think Um, but we were fine you know everything was fine Dan's sperm my husband's sperm was fine everything sort of okay with me we've got great blood blood results we're eating organically we're fit and healthy we're you know taking care of all the chemicals we're letting into our lives we're you know ticking the boxes yeah yeah we're healthy yeah good and she even said yep you're probably one of our healthiest couples she has a lot of people that you know struggle with diet and exercise and really yeah lifestyle related issues we we're okay with that so we just kept ticking boxes i had my tubes checked obviously the least fun thing I've for the first time I encountered an IVF clinic um, when I had to go do the post-coital tracking procedure again not fun um, and just not somewhere I ever imagined myself you know lying on a bed while someone scrapes you know the products of your dignity just goes out the door, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I just, I really struggled with that. I just, the first day I drove myself to the IVF clinic, I was just like, what, like this, how's this happening? Um, I don't know how yep. I got here. So that was tough. Yep. Um, yeah, I was religiously charting my um, basal body temperature and cervical mucus and I was having to report all the gory and intimate details of my period back to the naturopath every month and it just was yeah. like... You know, it's it was a beneficial process because I was learning so much, um, yeah, and invaluable stuff that yeah, I just you know most people wouldn't have a clue. So um, yeah, that's been a positive to come out of it, I guess. Yeah, um, you almost feel like even though it's not happening for you, you feel like almost feel like you become an expert at how to get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Tell other people exactly yeah. what they need to do. Yeah. And it was amazing as well for my business at the time, as you mentioned with um Alavita, which natural yes. um I was sort of being able to tie those two together and get all this advice from the naturopath and then, you know, share that with, with my community as well. Not just about fertility, but just about, you know, things in general like Wi-Fi and all these sort of things that we're letting into our lives that are, you know, having a, a massive impact that we just don't think about. So that was a really yep. interesting part of it for me as well. Um, eventually, we'd sort of gotten to, through all the boxes, and we're sort of, you know, I'd shared all my scans and obviously she's got all my history and things and this uterus, this uterus thing came back up um, as, you know, I think we should have another look at this. Um, so long story short, I ended up back in front of a different specialist this time, um, who she'd helped me source, um, who was the expert in this 
particular field apparently and we're discussing surgery again to fix it almost two years since I've been told not an issue don't worry about it so that was that was a huge blow for me as well I'm like I've wasted you know potentially if this is the problem two years down the drain because I trusted somebody yeah so that's when it sort of hit home for me that yeah like you need to do you know really really need to know your stuff and really trust um and get second opinions and yeah just make sure you're comfortable with what's what you're being told um, and, and just yeah. don't take it at face value as the definite, you know, there's all, there's so many options with this infertility and, you know, you really need to have a really good look at what's going on, make sure you understand what you're being told. Yeah, so I'm a big advocate myself of always getting a printout uh, of your own test results. Do you do the same thing? Um, yes. Yes, I'm usually given them, but I don't do much with them. I kind of just chuck them in the folder and, you know, yep. when they need it, I bring them out for the next person to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know my naturopath used to scour over my results. Yeah. And she'd be like, hmm, look at that kind of thing. So, yeah, I always think, yeah, you, you do need to um, have a little bit of a knowledge and a little bit of an understanding yourself yeah. so that you can see judge for yourself yeah, where you sit yeah. uh, with that. So uh, are you able to tell us uh, where you are now? So right now are you at the point of looking at whether or not to do surgery for your uterus? Um, I've had the surgery. So You've had the surgery. So I went through surgery again in April 2015 um, to resect. It's called a uterine septum, which makes a heart shape in your uterus, which most people don't have. They've just got a nice kind of normal shaped uterus. Um, but mine was causing a little bit of a, that funky shape. Um, mm-hmm. And the septum was right at the fundus, they call, which is um, sort of at the top of your uterus where the blastocyst likes to implant. So that was like, okay, yeah, that's, um, that's why, you know, it's hindering implantation. And, yeah. and I found out that even in the unlikely event that we were successful with implantation, the likelihood of me carrying and continuing pregnancy was... Um, severely compromised um, and we're at risk of congenital deformities and things like that. So right. pretty shocking and, yeah, made the decision really easy to to go ahead yep. with that surgery and all, that all went well. Um, so we're back on the horse again, you know, trying soon after and I, I fell pregnant almost straight away um, after we were given the green light. Um, yeah, and this time I made it to a six-week scan, um, obviously a little bit more aware of, what can go wrong um, and I think it's important um, just just as a side note to um, support people that are pregnant after a miscarriage because it's bloody scary like you know what can go wrong and obviously you're trying to balance your emotions you're trying to balance those things that can really happen with um, being optimistic and that <laughs> yep. really fine line like okay, hopefully nothing's going wrong, but something can go wrong. So, you know, you're trying to yeah. balance those emotions and not get too excited. And obviously we weren't talking about names and schools and rocking chairs this time. Yep. Um, yep. And for good reason. Um, I had a six-week scan and they detected a heartbeat, but it was quite low. Um, so we were just, again, told to kind of wait and see, but wasn't looking too good. Um, so by the time I got to my eight-week appointment with the midwife, there really wasn't, there was nothing to discuss. We'd lost we'd lost that pregnancy as well. So um, one thing I find really difficult is that they're termed spontaneous abortions. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Something like that is horrible. Like that language has to go. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. And, I mean, there was no evidence for either of my um, losses that there were chromosomal abnormalities. So it was just put down to bad luck in the second okay. instance. Just, you know, perhaps got pregnant too soon after the first surgery or just, you know, shit out of luck. Yeah. So, again, we're still told they're fine and that, you know, to be considered truly in the infertility camp, we'd, ha- we'd need to have at least three miscarriages before anyone's really going to take us too seriously. Again, this is just unbelievable stuff yeah. for me to be hearing other times. So, yeah, so at the moment we're, um, we're trying again and we've started the process of investigating IBS and whether genetic testing could be beneficial for us. Um, it's really tricky one for me. It's obvious, as I said, I've got no obvious issues with ovulation or conception to a point. Um, so IVF would really just to be ticking another box for me and reducing any further risk of miscarriage that was down to chromosomal abnormalities. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So what would you say so far has been the hardest part for you? Um, at first I'd say um, it was really dealing with the stigma of miscarriage and infertility. Um, as I mentioned, that first miscarriage was a huge blow for me and I'll never forget sitting in the doctor's surgery after after it had happened and just not knowing what was going on. Unfortunately, surrounded by a waiting room full of gorgeous babies and happy mums and yeah. And the doctor was absolutely useless. He he just didn't know how. To, obviously, I was very emotional and sort of having outbursts of and hyster- hysterical tears and sobbing and yeah. that kind of stuff. And he was just like, "Ew," um, you know, kind of part, you know, sliding the box of tissues towards me like, "Sort yourself out, love." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, don't know what to do yeah, next. Uh... A whole awkward, like, holy shit, she's having a meltdown. I don't know what to do. Um, yeah. So the whole experience was just yuck from that point of view. Um, and I guess for me, I've been really lucky in that my life, I've never really been too exposed to loss or grief. I've, you know, I've not really lost touch wood. I haven't lost anyone that close um, to me at, at an age where I was able to comprehend it. So it was my first real experience of dealing with grief. Um, yeah. I also felt really guilty and that it was my fault. Um, I just had no idea how to cope and um, with everything I was feeling, I really struggled there for a while and I feel like, I felt like I wanted to talk about it but I just didn't know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. And is that because sort of you, it's almost like you wanted to talk to someone who could understand, who had a similar Yeah, absolutely. Experience? Yeah, I didn't yeah. want sympathy. I just wanted someone to understand and I couldn't find that really um so yeah I knew I knew that time would pass and and time would pass and I I thought I was getting better but then I'd kind of go right back to the start again and I just thought I was never going to get over it um it was tough and eventually I started to realize that I wasn't alone um but through that discovery I kind of started to feel quite angry that no one had shared their stories that I didn't know um, that I was only finding out all of these things now that I was in the club, you know, so to speak. And it took yeah. a long time to, to understand that everybody has a different way of dealing with their grief. Everyone's dealing with something different and that's okay. Um, I get that now. <laughs> but at the time yeah. I was just like, 
why isn't why isn't more of these stuff being shared and why didn't I know and why am I feeling so alone? And yep. of course, at the same time, I know probably everybody experiences this, but it felt like everybody I'd ever known in the world ever was falling pregnant and with no problems at all. And that that also was really really difficult to to learn how to deal with that. Um, and I understand that's quite a common a common thing, and it's never easy. Yep. So, yeah. Um. So, what at what point did you tell your friends and family? So, did you tell your parents like as soon as you found out that you were pregnant? Um, and then had to tell them that you were no longer pregnant or? Yeah, I had actually, um, I was very open with my mum. I find it really difficult to keep secrets from her. And I didn't, hadn't really planned to tell her, but we were talking on the phone. I was just like, just kind of blurted it out. And, you know, she was obviously really excited. And, um, yeah, I think it was just sort of a couple of days later, you know, I called again, you know, sobbing and, you know, I've lost it. And, um, yeah, we were also pretty open with our friends after the fact. Not before. Um, they didn't know I was pregnant and we were kind of, you know, figuring out how we were going to deal with them wondering why I wasn't drinking and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, and then and then we, we ended up telling them that I'd miscarried quite quickly after the fact as well just so they knew what was going on. Um, and has that had its challenges in telling people? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think at the at first it, we we thought it would be great because um, you know we would get all this support and, and things like that. Um, but it it sort of I don't know. It, it's difficult, especially when it, it, there isn't a lot of understanding from their point of view, which is totally understandable. Not their fault. Um, yeah. I think but people just don't know how to act. They don't know what around to say. They are, yeah. But they try and they try and give you sort of this unsolicited advice that comes from a place of a good place but not a place of understanding. So, uh, you know, we learned to be pretty humble about it and just sort of nod and laugh and take it on the chin when we were alone yeah. together. But, um, yeah, that can be really frustrating. And um, I think because I was so open about it, people were um, sort of, you know, really forthcoming to ask me how I was and really wanted to know what was going on and where we were at. And um, that was fine to a point. But then, you know, the further it went along, I think they kind of just expected that it was just one bump and then we'll get over it and we'd be fine. But, you know, because it's gone on for a long time, it, it's kind of become my, I feel like that's my sort of hat now. I'm like the infertility uh-huh. chick and um, yeah, sometimes I I'm like, definitely yeah. a bit of a Debbie Downer sometimes when you're just constantly talking about it. So now yep. I've sort of learned to pull back. Depending on the situation, I think you've just got to read the situation and, and, and know if someone's just trying to make conversation, then, yeah, maybe pull it back and keep it quite light and low-key in, in most cases. If it's someone that you feel like, okay, they might be um, they're asking for another reason or there might be something deeper to it, then I think you can definitely read that as well and know if they need more support for whatever, more 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 information from you for whatever reason, or if they're genuinely interested, or if they're just trying to do the right thing and ask if you're okay, but don't really want the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that people start asking you uh, sort of questions that they take it too far? So, what is the next step here, and then what happens, and then when do you find out? And it's almost like, ah, oh, you're ask, you're just asking me for too much. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's definitely occasions that that has happened to me. 
Um, and again, you, I just try and do the best I can and, and give them as much information as I feel comfortable with and I find it quite easy to, to cut it off when, when I've had enough. Yep. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, just then, you know, cut it off when you had enough. Do you have any phrases, do you have any hints or tips uh, for people about, you know, how to really control that conversation with people and share just what you want to share? Um, any tips or anything like that? in that space? Um, yeah, I think it's just important to to feel like you're in control of of how much you share with people um, and only you know that. Um, it's about you at the end of the day. There's no right or wrong um, with, with how much you tell people. It's your personal journey. So, um, I know some people that are really protective about actually had a friend who um, experienced miscarriage and I was very upset that she didn't sort of come to me and and we couldn't share and she, you know, I couldn't help her. Um, but yeah, again, as I said before, everybody's different. Everybody wants to share different things or some people want to keep it to themselves. But I think as a tip, um, just be honest, as, be as honest as possible and try to be patient if they're not as understanding as you would like. Um, remember where, where you started the journey. And yeah. for me, I knew nothing. So, and there is so much to know. So I think it's important to, Keep that in mind. They just don't know. It's good that people are curious about it. It's good that you can educate them to some point. But um, again, it, it can be difficult when when they're not coming from the same level of understanding. So just just set your limits and and, and stick to them. You're in control. Yep. Yep. yep that's great advice. Um, and sadly, I would never wish this uh, on anyone in the world. But you've dealt with a few quite a few blows uh, during this experience. Um, so you're probably a bit of uh, an expert at looking after yourself and um, are you able to share with me uh, any rituals or things that you might do to make, uh, to sort of help yourself when you get bad news um, and how you go about dealing with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we have been through a fair bit and I think it's um, it's really important first and foremost to just give yourself a break. Like bad news sucks. Um, there's no right or wrong way to think about it or go about it. Um, when I get, when I've had bad news in the past, I usually react quite badly and have a meltdown and have a big cry and go through the whole why me. But then, you know, I make sure I find the time to process that, um, whatever it is, on my own and have a big chat to my husband. Who I'm really very, very lucky that he's one of the world's great optimists and has has a way of talking me down off any ledge. Um, yep. And so once you've had those, you know, once you've had time to process and let the emotions out, you know, you, you come back to a more rational way of thinking and just get informed and make a plan. You know you'll get through it. Like when you've taken a few knocks, unfortunately, it, it just gets easier. Fortunately and unfortunately, it just gets yeah. easier. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can do with just about anything now. But um, also found, I find online shopping can be quite a big help. <laughs> <laughs> very nice <laughs> um, you know you can go you don't have to worry about your mascara running or anything if you feel a bit teary yeah um, yeah I, <laughs> I can attest to that it's very therapeutic yeah in terms of rituals um, lately the one thing I've found quite useful is just to practice gratitude which sounds a bit airy-fairy but you know every morning when I wake up and my feet hit the ground I just say thank you you know yep. just say thank you it's so simple so powerful um, I'm really very fortunate to have had the opportunities I've had to be educated, to travel, to love, 
to have yeah. a successful career and, you know, to have some amazing people in my life um, and I'm healthy and I've got very little to complain about. Um, other rituals, I, I really fluctuate. I'm a bit of a, you know, hop around with my, just trying to find something that's right for me and, you know, I'll, I'll try something, I'll try some meditation and then I'll fall off the bandwagon and, you know, I just don't have that discipline yet, unfortunately. It needs, takes practice. Um, but I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really good thing as well, though, is that you take sort of what you need at the time, and yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not necessarily soldiering on with something that you're not really feeling in your heart. Yeah. Um, but also, if you don't always try something, then you never know. Exactly, so. and I mean, I yeah, I do have. I'd like to find things that do fit into your life. You shouldn't be struggling with it. You shouldn't be fighting to do things like that. If it doesn't feel right, um, journaling is a very powerful outlet for me. But again, that takes. That takes discipline and it just depends on what's going on energetically for me. If I feel it, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to force it. Um, yeah. But one good thing I found really I can sort of maintain quite successfully is just repeating some kind of mantra in the shower. You know, I'm there every morning and every night anyway, at least. Yep. So yep. it's an easy thing to do um, and just to mix up those mantras depending on how I'm feeling and what I feel I need. That's been quite oh, a, yeah, that's been quite a good thing that's for me. All the things that I love, gratitude mantras. <laughs> Yay! Are you able, tell me, are you able to share uh, with the audience one mantra that you really like? The one that I really love at the moment, and it's it's not really a, a mantra. It's just sort of going through my body and saying again, saying thank you to my whole body and saying thank you, I'm sorry, and uh, you know, just I'm sorry, and let's move on. You know, just yep. really having that forgiveness of your body and that relationship and I'm sorry for all the things I've done to you um yeah please forgive me and you know we're all good um so I'm like thank you hands thank you arms thank you shoulders takes a while but you know you've got some time in there you might as well (laughs) might as well do it while you while the soap or the body wash is going over yeah and it's Um, kind of yeah it's not really like you know these really long mantras sometimes that are almost impossible to to um to say but I think just simplifying it and making it up it doesn't have to be something that someone else has said just whatever you feel I think is um yeah really powerful excellent um and so you've mentioned you know that in the early days um you just perhaps felt uh quite alone and that you didn't really feel like you had the support that you needed at the time um where do you go now for community and support? What kind of um, places do you go to or things that you do? Um, yeah, as, as you said, I did find it really difficult and still do. Um, I think the group that you've set up recently is fantastic, um, a wonderful resource, I think invaluable to get that support and understanding, again, from people who really understand and are going through their own journey. So it's also really uplifting to be able to help others um, yeah. I find that extremely therapeutic um, to be if there's something that I've been if it's a tiny thing if it's just a you know a pat on the back tip. to say yep. we get it um, yeah I think that that's that's awesome so there's still obviously still a lot of work that needs to be done to to develop these yeah resources and support um, yeah friends and family are great but I think it's just invaluable to have that first hand understanding from others yeah and there's so many of us out there so yeah there really are and I think our journeys are different we can sometimes you know find um 
similarities in journeys, but also sometimes it's just that emotional support of having people who are going through that emotional roller coaster yep. Yep. Uh, as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, so now you're quite a wellness warrior, which I love. Are you able to tell me, you mentioned that you go to see a naturopath. Yeah. My naturopath was like my saviour on my journey. I love her yeah. to bit. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess that you swear by seeing your naturopath and I suppose it goes without saying seeing someone that you love. Yeah. Have you tried any other alternative or complementary therapies that you would swear by or that you re- recommend? Um, I did try. Um, I was having acupuncture for a really long time, um, of, almost from the start of my journey, actually, as I was kind of told, you know, I was kind of told that's the thing to do. Um, and it was great. I did see improvements in my overall health, but um, it kind of got a bit too much. At one point, I was going twice a week, and it was just yeah. a little bit more. I felt a little bit. It was stressing me out more than it was sort of helping me. In the end. That is most exactly what was my. Yeah, I just ended up getting yeah. a little bit frustrated with it. I think, it, it, yeah, you've just got to take. Um, you've got to. You've got to know there's not a magic bullet, it, and like you said, it's complementary. And, and if it stops being complementary, then you should stop. Um, yeah. And know when to stop, and just don't keep, you know, persisting with it because you think it's the right thing to do, or they're pressuring pressuring you into it um, yeah. for whatever reason. But um, apart from the naturopath, who yeah, is absolutely been um, amazing for me, and yeah, and yeah, invaluable. Again, that's a big word for me today. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I also see a Cairo once a week. Um, okay. Yep. And yeah, that's that's working out for me very well at the moment as well. And obviously, the two of those are um, complementary to each other. So, I think it's important to, if you are seeing an, a number of different people, just to make sure they're aware of that. Um, yep, it's a team. It's a team effort. I really feel like I've yep. got a team of people around me at the moment yep. to um to keep me together. Keep oh, me that's going. awesome. Yeah. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the interview that you're a bit of a guru in the tox-free, chemical-free, you know, um, like natural beauty space um, as the former owner of the Alaveda Lifestyle Company. Can you tell me a little bit about what sparked your interest in that area and are you able to give our listeners a little bit of advice? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Alaveda as a company. I don't run it anymore. It's a little bit too much um, to balance with my other work, um, unfortunately, but it was just, it was more of a passion project than anything. Um, and it really started with my sister who is, um, involved in Nature Direct who sell, um, environmentally friendly and natural cleaning products. And so she inevitably forced me to <laughs> have, well, not forced, coerced, I don't know, um, to have a, a demonstration, a, you know, a party, sort of mm-hmm. party plan thing. But it's I think that's written into your sister contracts that you have. Yeah, yeah. And she's done it. Oh, God, she's done it, all of it. But anyway, this is her thing. Um, it's really awesome. She's very passionate about it and for good reason. Um, so her presentation sort of got me thinking, okay, well, cleaning products is one thing um, and I can make that change very easily. But what about all the other chemicals that I'm exposing myself to? They can't be good. Um, so I just started digging and then I was just astounded at what I'd discovered and, and the things that we I'd let into our home and the things I was using on my body without any research, without any thought, just, you know, they're on the supermarket shelf. They must be fine. You know, they wouldn't be 
selling them to us if they weren't okay. Um, that's just not the case, unfortunately. You have to take control over what you, yeah. what you what's okay for you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just astounded at, at, at what was what's sort of happening, and I just wanted to share that um, message with as many people as possible who, like me, would probably just you know Assume. not even really giving it a thought. And I mean, I'll. I, was, I would would have classified myself as pretty healthy and you know yeah. pretty switched on when it comes to the rights and wrongs of what you should do, but it's the little things that were just that just pass you by, but have such a it can have such a cumulative effect, and I think it's really coming out more and more now. So good to see. So if you had if you could choose two sort of beauty products that you would be like, no, stay away uh-huh. from them, or really investigate them what two products would they be um look that's a really difficult question to answer um you're like all of them basically <laughs> and I think honestly um I don't think it's as easy as saying like hey look at these two products I think um more so have a look at the chemical or the those the top 10 and you can get this really easily the top 10 most toxic chemicals um that are in your personal care products um, things like phthalates, which is a really important one to mention for fertility, um, can have huge ramifications on your fertility um, and on baby as well. Um, and what kind of things would you f- typically find phthalates? Oh, bloody everything. <laughs> but oh, no. Probably perfume yep. is a huge one to think about. Um, yep. Makeup, lots of makeup and cleaning products are probably the top three. Um, yep. But I just suggest to people, like, next time you're getting ready for work in the morning, just count how many products you're using before you go out, before you're heading out the door. That was sort of what I did when I got started. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think... Blow yourself away. Amazing. How much. Amazing. Yep. And then I guess from there to think about, okay, what are the things I'm using every day or multiple times a day? So things like toothpaste, soap, cleanser, moisturiser. Um, yep. That can all, you know, depending on what they are, there's, there's toxic versions of everything and some products are better than others. But if you just do a little bit of research and I think um, there's definitely resources out there for you to check. Um, so we'll make sure that we link to those 10 products in the show notes as well for anyone that wants to have a look. Right. Um, but, yeah, that's really good advice. So we're towards the end of the podcast now. Do you have any other advice uh, for people who are struggling to conceive or struggling to maintain that successful pregnancy? Um, yeah, I'd say just don't be afraid to feel everything you're feeling. Um, yeah, feel all those feelings and deal. try and deal with them. It's okay to be upset, to feel sad, to feel guilty. Just just sit with it. You don't Don't try and push it down. Don't try and push it to the side. It's never going to, it won't go away unless you deal with it. So unfortunately, it's something you're going through. You're just going to have to work through it, feel it, deal with it. Talk to people if you can or find your own outlet, like keeping a journal or writing a blog. Don't keep it inside of you. Um, Arm yourself with knowledge. You know, the more you know, the less you have to be fearful of. And knowledge really is power when it comes to this fertility game. Um, and I think absolutely and ultimately just be kind to yourself and give, as I said before, just give yourself some credit for how bloody strong you are. Like this is a massive um, thing yep. that you're going through. 
regardless of the outcome, you're going to learn something and it's going to be positive. So think about what you can take out of this as hard as it might be at the moment or down the track. What is something? What's something positive that you can take out of this and apply to the rest of your life? You know, oh, that is such good advice, Bianca. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. You've just given us, I think, so many fantastic things and I think people can really relate to a lot of um, your story, particularly, you know, that feeling uh, when you have a miscarriage as well um, and, you know, the ways in which people uh, deal with friends and family or how they feel, find them. So thank you so much for joining us today. We'll make sure that we link to those um, post with those 10 uh, most toxic toxic ingredients uh, and we'll also make sure that we send a link to our community. It's really a fabulous place. Bianca is in our community as well so um, if you feel that you can really relate to Bianca's story and you have any questions or anything like that I'm sure she'd be always happy to um, help you out and provide you with that support. It's a really wonderful uh, community so do make sure that if you feel like you would like some more support on your fertility or pregnancy roller coaster than that you join that group so thank you everyone for listening to this podcast and we will catch you next time